Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning. We are, as you know, living in unprecedented times. The things that are going on in our lives, the things that are going on in our nation, few of us have ever seen anything quite like this in terms of, of uncertainty, unrest, injustices. You can know what's happening in the world just by reading the newspapers. My phone has like 20 of them. And so you can keep up with what human beings are doing. But what we're called to do is to know what God is doing in the midst of anything. There's a, there's a group of people in the Old Testament who were called the children of Issachar. And what they were known as is people who could, who could read the signs. They were people who could understand what God was doing, how God was moving, and how the people should respond to the movement of God. You have something even greater than the sons of Issachar have. You have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit who anointed Christ for his ministry. As Gabe said a little while ago, the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in union with your life, your spirit in union with his. And he wants to make you as aware and as discerning as the sons of Issachar ever were. But in order to do that, you have to recognize this is not instinctive. It is something that has to be acquired. It is something that has to be practiced. So over the next eight weeks, we are delving deeply into what does it, be, what does it mean to become a spiritually discerning person? And what we're going to do is, is here on Sunday, on Sunday mornings, we're going to have a message and here's what I, I know I can't make you do this. If I could, I probably would. But I would like you to look at this less as some kind of booster shot or some kind of inspiration for the week. I believe that what we will be teaching on these Sundays, if you will learn it and get the framework of the wisdom of God into your life, it will transform your life and your family. But just hearing it will go in one ear and out the other. Now, the reason is this. Discernment is more about application than just understanding. All of you are smart enough to understand. But it takes so much more to apply. And when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is only wisdom if it's applied. I hear people all the time say, well, you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free, as if just having some awareness of the truth will then set you free. No, that, that verse means you will become intimately involved with the truth and you will integrate the truth intimately into your heart and then that truth will set you free. So what I'm asking is that you would integrate both Sunday and all the other opportunities into your life. If you can, take notes. If you don't want to take notes on a Sunday morning, all of my notes are on our website. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I don't try to have stylistic PowerPoints. 
I try to get all the content I can so you can read it. Because I want, that, I want all of your senses motivated, not just your hearing, but your sight, and let your brain start to process this stuff. And we can increase your retention from about 15% to 80%. But if you just listen to me, you'll probably get less than 15% of what I'm saying. And I'm a southerner, and I talk slow. <laughs> So the other thing is this. We'll unpack it every day on Facebook Live. We'll have a podcast of unpacking it every day on Spotify. I think I'm on Apple as well. I'm a real person now, I guess. Uh, you know, you can, you can pick it up in these places, but here's the other thing. We have written this up in a workbook. It's called Discern. The workbook is online on our website. It's free. It's all digital. I tell you, it, it, it got me excited to write this. Now, Lisa and I wrote it together. I feel like it builds these first four weeks. Uh, we're ready to go. We'd like you to have this workbook. And then the other thing is, this isn't something you do individualistically only. Join a growth group, whether, it's, whether you feel comfortable Zooming or in person, whatever it might be. Now, I got to tell you, I love that so many people watch us online, but thank you for being here in person today. You give me energy. Well, at least some of you do. <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake. All right. But join a growth group. Process this. We have, we have almost every day, it seems like we have different ones that you can join up and be a part of. The reason is that's another way it becomes integrated when you talk about it. When you can express something verbally, it means you've begun to possess it. It's, be, it's become part of you. You see, this is so important because we don't know what's coming next, but it, it looks like change is coming in all kind of areas of our life. Some good, some bad, but all change. We need to hear from God about what he's doing, not just fear what others are doing. And we need to do it with hearts that read the signs like children of Issachar. But here's what I need. I need you to commit to this. Because if you just put it in halfway, you'll be inoculated from the good stuff. This is what happens all the time. People go, well, I understand this, but they don't apply it, which means you have a vaccine against the truth. I want you to have a vaccine against COVID, but not against the truth. I don't want you to be inoculated from wisdom. And I've seen lots of people, well, I tried that. Or, I, you know, I, know, I understand that. I'm, when someone flippantly says they understand wisdom but are not wise, they've been vaccinated against wisdom. Gosh, I wish I had said that in the first service. That was really good. <laughs> I think that's the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do. It's the idea of spiritual discernment is not natural to any of us. So spiritual discernment is the wisdom of God known by you and applied by you in your life. You understand, God's not going to resource your fleshly wisdom. But he is the source of spiritual discernment. And he will protect the truth. And he will defend the truth. Someone asked, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, it could have been John Calvin, I'm not sure. It's been repeated so often. 
How do you defend the Bible? Cried Calvin. Calvin said, it's like a lion. You just let it loose. You understand? God has a way of defending the truth much better than you and I can. But see, if we're not aligned to the truth, we have no defense. And that's what's happening in our world right now. Everybody has an opinion. And we need the truth. And that's what we're going after for eight weeks together. So here's the first of it. God puts such value on wisdom that he's devoted a whole book to it. The book of Proverbs. When I was a high school kid, I started reading the Bible for myself. I read the, the story of Solomon. God came to Solomon and said, what would, you, what would you like me to give you? Wouldn't you like that? What would you like to, me to give you? I'll give you long life. I'll give you riches. I'll give you power. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And I have never forgotten that. And how pleased God was that Solomon asked for wisdom. I believe God's asking us, do we want wisdom? So would you say with me, if you're willing, God, God give, me give me wisdom. Say it again with me. God, God give, me give me wisdom. See, I don't, know, I don't know that this is a better gift. Guess what happened? If you get wisdom, you get long life. If you get wisdom, you get riches. If you get wisdom, you get power. But if you don't have wisdom, it's a mess. So let's read this together. Are you tracking with me so far? You sorry you came? Sorry you came. All right. <laughs> you know me. I'm going to pick on you a little bit. All right. Let's, let's read God's word out loud together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and direction to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now what are we talking about here? We're talking about the difference between good choices and bad choices. All you have to do is live a little while and you start to realize bad choices are very destructive. Matter of fact, I made a bad choice this morning. I ate an Intenman chocolate donut. It's still bothering me now. You see, but what does it take to make a good choice? Well, the Bible says it takes wisdom. And, and what I want you to understand is the Bible is very in-depth about the wisdom of God. And when it talks about wisdom, it gives us three descriptors here in Proverbs chapter 1. The first is this, is that to have wisdom means you have insight. And insight in Hebrew, you see, is, is actually much deeper than the idea, well, I, just, I, I have some understanding or I have some insight into something. It's actually that you're able to know the difference between what's good and best. You're able to see not just what this decision uh, that you're making right now is about today, but you're looking at a decision that's going to affect the future. You're able not just to see from your past, but you're able to see forward. You see, you have been given a relationship with the Spirit of God who not only knows what's going on now, but who knows what will be your future. 
God is, God is an infinite God who is not bound by time like you are. He sees your entire life all at once. He is already seeing you glorified in Christ in heavenly places. And he is giving you the resources to get from where you are to where you really want to be. God's desired future for you. But you can't get there with what you know. What you know is your past. What he knows is your future. All you can do with your past is limit yourself. Restrict yourself. But he can take you where you've never been before. Do you understand? In him, Peter says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Well, insight is a part of the wisdom of God for you to really see things. As a matter of fact, it's interesting when it talks about the prophetic in 1 Corinthians, it says the prophetic lays bare the secrets of men's hearts. That's a fascinating thing. It's not just foretelling the future, but it's actually understanding the present. You and I need to understand the present. We don't just need to have superficial you know, understanding. We need a deeper understanding of what God is doing in the midst of our world right now. And only God can give us that kind of insight. But secondly, wisdom, and I love this. The word that's translated here in the Hebrew is the word prudence. I don't know about you. I don't use prudence very often. Or the, the word anyway. Hopefully I use it more often than that. But the idea of prudence in Hebrew is this. That you actually know how to do what you dream of doing. In other words, wisdom is not just dreaming of a future while you sit on your sofa watching television. Not able to move, but talking about, I'm going to do this. And it'd be great if I could have that happen. And I'd be all of this. Have you, if you've ever been around dreamers, they're annoying. Because they talk all about what can be done, but have no idea how to do it. And oftentimes they're complaining because life has let them down and has not allowed them to fulfill their dreams. So they blame everything and everybody. Well, wisdom is not complaining about what hasn't happened. It's a plan to make it happen. Those who are wise are prudent, the Bible says. They have a strategy. Do you understand? God never gives you a vision that he doesn't give you the provision. If it's of God, he's already strategized for you. If it's of God, he's already got everything you need to make it happen. All you have to do is walk in his path. If something hasn't happened for you, it's because it's either not God's vision for you or you haven't walked in the path of provision he has for your vision. Because everything God envisions for you, he has resources. But you have to begin to trust, again, the wisdom of God instead of the wisdom of you. <laughs> I've been around people who all they do is use people. Their vision, you're the, their agenda, you're the pawn. You're the servant. I've even been around people when they're talking to me, I can tell they're not talking to me. They're already thinking about the next person. They're going to get to do what they want to do. I really hate that. 
Maybe I'm overly sensitive to it, but I can't stand being someone's pawn. I can't stand being just a commodity that somebody's using. But the problem is sometimes in my foolishness or my lack of wisdom, I have been very attracted to people who were visionaries because they were doing what I wanted to accomplish. But all they were really doing was using me to accomplish what their vision was. And it's strange because my experiences have not been in business, but in ministry. And I, I found myself in my early years attracted to the, to the visionary, you know, communication of these two leaders that were older than me. And I have some deep father wounds, so I was looking for a father figure to fill these places of deep father wounds. And so I listened to their spiel, and I thought, that's what I want to do. This must be God. But I was foolish because all they were doing is they were trying to get their vision accomplished and they saw my gifts or my talents. They didn't really see me. They saw me as a commodity that could get them where they wanted to be. And then strangely enough, when they used me and abused me and manipulated me, I was really angry with them. But you know what was going on in that? Instruction. Because the Hebrew word for instruction is how God forms character. I was so angry at God. How could you let me fall for such terrible, awful, lying people? How could you put people in ministry? You see, I, I have this kind of moral perfectionism that's like, God, I can't stand corruption. God, I can't stand unfairness and injustice. And this is unfair, God, that they should treat me like this, that there should be people in ministry who are sinners? I can't believe it, God. <laughs> you know what he said to me? This isn't about them. This is about you. You see, the annoying people in your life are mirrors to your soul. The irritating circumstances in your life, they're the pressure that you need to show you the cracks in your character. You understand, we don't learn the easy way. If you look at your life and you're honest, none of you have learned the easy way. And some of you that think, yeah, I've avoided all kinds of pain, you haven't learned yet. <laughs> and what's it going to take to break that hard outer shell of your soul so that the spirit actually has entrance? See, God is so good that he will not let you have insight without character. He will not let you have the strategy that will take you to glory without character. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are cracked vessels. And so what is he doing more than anything else? He's bringing people into your life who will make you a person of character. You see, if all you are is an agenda to be fulfilled, then you're a predator because everybody else exists to meet your needs. This is one of the toughest things that has to come about in terms of understanding wisdom. See, your life should be all about him and all about us. Because if not, it's all about you. And that's not an easy thing when you're a broken vessel, because it's hard to trust even him, much less us. And yet many of us, you see, we don't realize we're just using each other. 
We're just predators to each other. I'll only have you in my life as long as I don't have conflict with you. I'll only have you in my life as long as you make me feel a certain way. But as soon as I stop feeling that way, I want you gone from my life. And that can be our family. It can be our marriages. It can be our friendships. We are very disposable people. But if you look around this room, you will see people that you will now see for all eternity. This is not your temporary family. This is your forever family. And we actually belong to one another because we belong to him. And how we treat one another in wisdom is not a reflection of others' character. Understand, I have yet to see God not deal with the character of someone who is unjust or deal with the character of someone who manipulates. You watch and see certain people are, about, are getting their characters revealed, and it's not just people revealing it, it's God revealing it. And you and I can spend our whole life going, God, you got to change that person. And God said, but the one I'm trying to change is you. Anytime you hear yourself going, you got to change that person, go, oh, he's talking to me. Are you sorry you came today? <laughs> so why am I saying this about wisdom? Well, because in a way, this is, this is the whole definition. Wisdom is competence in regards to how life really works. Would you read that with me? Wisdom is competence in regards to how life really... Would you do it one more time? Wisdom is competence in regards to how life really works. So let's get very personal for a minute. If you're whining and complaining and grumbling, not only are you not wise but you're revealing that you don't know how life really works. If you have wisdom, you're not going to scream when you get to be an adult, it's so unfair! <laughs> because at some point you're going to realize that's how life really works. You have a bad boss, that's how life really works. You have a husband that's not quite the husband you wanted to be, you picked him. You see, every time that wisdom is, is crying out in us, we're usually silencing that wisdom. Take, for example, I don't know how many of you do this. I do this. My wife does it. We make lists of what we want to accomplish in a day. The list is always unrealistic. At the end of the day, oh, my God, we didn't finish our list. Well, you know what that shows? I don't know how life really works. Because life really works with interruptions. That's how life really works, right? Come on, this, is, this can save you some counseling. But if the oh, I'm such a failure, I'm such a loser. No, you're just not wise. Because you're not going to get done everything that you want to get done in a day, and you need to adjust. And you need to adapt. And you need to realize most of the interruptions are, again, mirrors to your soul to show you whether or not you have character. And you see, interruptions are instructions. Because either, either you're going to receive the instruction that God has for you, even if it's an annoying interruption. 
But because you know how life really works, you don't get lost. You stay focused. Because you know how life really works. And you know tomorrow the list will still be there. Matter of fact, my wife's honey-do list has been the same for 40 years. So... <laughs> I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't know how life really works, you won't be wise. But as you are seeing all these things, and it doesn't mean you can't be surprised. It doesn't mean you can't be shocked. You're just not going to stay there. You're not going to take defeat lying down. You're going to recognize it is not the normal experience for a child of God to live in defeat. What does this show? Well, oftentimes we have unrealistic expectations. More often than not, we have false assumptions. Many times we have unrealistic views of ourselves that has to be corrected. I mean, I, I don't like criticism. I love, you know, I have an emotional need for attention, obviously. <laughs> Some of you got that joke. That was good. You made me feel better. But I've come to realize that when someone criticizes me, it damages my ego. But it damages what I view myself as. It's not reality. It's my view of myself that I've concocted. So instead of being able to receive the criticism, I'm protecting my, my you know, constructed view of myself. And so what you begin to realize is even sometimes criticism, even if it's wrong, criticism is helpful. And it can, be done, it can be done in such a way that you process it and go, okay, I've had way too high a view of myself. Because why? Because you get a sense of how life really works and you begin to be competent to handle it. Well, what about knowledge? Well, of course, there's a need for knowledge. Wisdom assumes that you know something. Without knowledge, you can't be wise. But it's much more than just morality. In all my years in the church, I'm afraid that most people just see Christianity as morality. And so they try to figure out what the do's and don'ts are, and they kind of try to line up as best they can. And, and oftentimes I've been in churches where all that mattered was the us and them mentality. Our morality against their morality. And then so, you know, successful preachers are preaching often were we're patting us on the back for our good morals and, and really criticizing the rest of the world for their bad morals. you got to understand something. Christianity is about a person. It's about a person called Jesus Christ. And it's about how you relate to God through Jesus that there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. It is not a morality. It's a relationship. And you cannot separate Christianity into morality, do's or don'ts, because Jesus didn't say, I have the truth. He says, I am the truth. And no one comes to the Father except through me, he said. So why am I saying that? Well, because the truth is that wisdom deals with about 80% of your decisions that have nothing to do with morality. I mean, a simple way to illustrate this is you could be offered two jobs that were moral, but one of them would destroy you and the other would make you flourish. 
How do you know the difference? Well, it would be because of wisdom. Because you are so in tune to the heart of God for you. And you're so in tune to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you're so aware of what God has shown you about yourself. You realize your limitations and you, you realize your gifting. And you begin to flow and operate in who he meant you to be. Instead of who anybody else meant you to be. So here's the importance of wisdom. <laughs> if you haven't been mad at me, you will now. So Proverbs, again, it's not me saying this. It's Solomon. So get mad at Solomon. He's dead. <laughs> so he says there's two kind of fools. He calls one is a simple fool and one is a deceived fool. I would call it deceived fool. You come up with other names. But the simple one is this. It's such an interesting thing because he, he sort of equates it with being young. But he's really, he's really not talking about age. He's talking about development. Undeveloped emotionally. Undeveloped in terms of, of really knowing your own values. Unformed and led by others. Led along by whatever you think the crowd is doing whatever you think the, the spirit of the age is. He calls that simple foolishness. In other words, with no sense of your own personhood, no sense of what, what really makes you you, you live to please others. You live for the approval of others. You understand something? That has no age limit. If you are a people pleaser, if you cannot say no, if you have no limitations, if you're often angry because people ask too much of you, or you have to do things like get sick so you can say no, or you have to like, I'm so busy, I'm so important, I can't possibly you know, fit you in. Then he calls you a simpleton, a simple fool. Now, Here's the great thing about the scriptures. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's not about education, friends. It's about heart. See, if you've aligned your heart to get your approval, your worth, your love, your significance from other people, you will always be disappointed. You're basically an empty tank trying to soften siphon off from other empty tanks. But if you recognize that you are simple and that you need the approval, that you need love, that you need acceptance, then first you have to go to the only one who can make you truly accepted. And then his word, his law, his heart for you becomes what takes you from being simple to being wise. See, you don't have to fear anybody else's opinion of you. They're just as foolish as you are. But you need to fear the one who is worth fearing. And his approval is everything. It's so interesting when you settle this issue of, of are you lovable? Are you worth anything? Are you safe? When you settle it in Christ, people actually give you more approval. 
people actually give you more love. Because you're not so desperate for it anymore. You have it to give. And your giving of it becomes a giving back from them. But as long as you're a servant or a slave to others' approval, you will always feel the emptiness and the loneliness and the isolation. If you're a person even who can be in a room of hundreds of people and yet feel isolated, unconnected, alone, there's a simple foolishness to you that needs to come out of you. Are you tracking with me? The next one is even more convicting. He calls this the opposite of normal foolishness. This is a person who is wise in their own eyes. Here are some of the characteristics. Set in your ways. Don't you try to change me. I love people that say that. Let's not make change for change's sake. Whose sake should we make it for? I don't know. It's so interesting because what they're saying is, I don't need you. I don't need anybody but me. I only need my own opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah. They become self-righteous. In other words, self-righteous here doesn't mean righteous with God. It just means you can't tell me that I'm not a good person. You can't tell me I'm not wise. You can't tell me I don't know better. I know better than you. That's what self-righteousness is. Pinionated, stubborn, angry, especially when corrected. You understand, wisdom is you're instructed. Foolishness is don't instruct me. So here we, and the, the never wrong. Any of you that can't apologize, it's revealing a foolishness. It's revealing that wisdom is not in your heart. You understand, both of these are dangerous. But this second one, the reason I call it deception is because when a person is deceived, they don't know they're deceived. So instead of being a fool, this person thinks themselves wiser than everybody else. If you cannot be instructed by anybody, it means you think you're wiser. If you can never be wrong, then you think you're smarter. And to be in that position, friends, is dangerous. Do you understand that sometimes the most dangerous place is to be right? Because then it makes you feel superior to everybody else. To feel like you, I really understand this, I really get this, can, can soar the pride level up so you're like, let me condescend to tell you all how it is. Do you understand how opposite of the gospel this is? You were so evil. In other words, you were so foolish. Christ had to die for you. But you are so loved, Christ chose to die for you. But that means that you're just as evil as me and I'm just as evil as you. You're just as foolish as me. I'm just as foolish as you. And so Proverbs begins to unpack the wisdom of God. It's fascinating because it's not something you can just intuit. It's something you have to be directed in. For example, Proverbs will say, rebuke a fool, and it'll be a good thing for the fool. And then the next verse, it says, don't rebuke the fool, because it'll be a bad thing. And you go, why does it contradict itself? But now it's not. It's saying, you got to know the fool. And you got to know the circumstances of the fool. 
Because you can sometimes say what needs to be said, and it's, it's life. And you can say the same thing to another person, and they're angry with you. What it takes then is discernment, right? It takes spiritual discernment. It takes wisdom. And, and it's context. And you can't just go, oh, God, show me exactly what to say to this person without learning the framework of saying anything to a person. How many times have you heard people say, I, was just, I just had to get this off my chest. Well, there were two fools in that conversation. <laughs> I just needed to give you a piece of my mind. I always go, you don't have much left. All right, now track with me on this. Proverbs says the foolishness is bound up in you from the time of childhood. Now, this is interesting to me. It's saying that this wisdom that you need is not just, it's not natural to you. It's interesting that Harvard and its developmental psychology department is actually catching up with the Bible. It only took them 2,500 years, but it's starting uh, to almost 3,000 years, but it's starting to catch up. They did a developmental thing where, where they're able to see the wiring of people, the, the way their DNA responds, and the way your brain responds is a wired response to threats, to conflict, to situations that feel uncomfortable or uncertain. So this foolishness is wired in. It's something, that, it's something that's with you from the beginning. Now, here, here's the... Are you, I know it's early, but can you track with me on this? So they said there's three wirings. And the first they call problem solver. So the problem solver never thinks anything is too big. It all has to be confronted you got to go after it. you gotta, you got to get right in the face of it. And you can't do anything else but just be right there, you know, hands-on. The second one they call the philosophical approach. This person sees a threat or a problem and goes, well, this may not even be a problem. Is this really, is this really something we need to think about? Is this really something we need to do? And so they almost have this sort of a paralysis. What do you call it? A paralysis of analysis kind of thing? where the person doesn't want to do anything, and they're like, if we just ignore it, it will go away. And then the third response, they called the anxious response. As soon as the, ting the spidey tingle starts to happen, that we're in danger, you run away. You withdraw from the relationship, you leave the job, you leave the town, you, whatever, the, you know, to the degree that your reaction is, but you run away from it. Now, what they said is every one of us has a tendency towards these three instinctive reactions. Now, I, I'd love to know how self-aware you are as to which of these is yours. But here's the thing. Whichever one you have, it's only wise one out of three circumstances. It's only wise one out of three times. In other words, 66% of the time, you're a fool. Whereas if you get wise and begin to understand what it is to have wisdom, you realize your approach needs to adapt to what you're encountering. The encounter is not going to adapt to you. So let me, let me, this could save you some counseling time right now. Let me, let me give you a personal experience of it. So my wife is not the problem solver. She is probably more the philosophical, sometimes leaning towards the anxious. 
She hates conflict. She will do anything to avoid conflict. I am a conflict looking for a place to happen. <laughs> so she's incredibly diplomatic, very loving, very indirect. I am, I am very direct. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'm, I'm very direct. So, so here, every circumstance in our life, my, my thought in our conflicts was that I'm going to make myself clear and plain and understood, and we're going to hit this thing head on. Her way of dealing with anything is to give clues. So my way of doing it hurt her. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're criticizing me. You're, you're saying it in such a way that it hurts because I'm so direct. It sounds like I know everything and I've already decided and there's no space for her. Her way of doing it, I just never got. I mean, like the clues would, whew. part of that's being a man, part of it's my wiring. So I began to realize I can't stay the way I am and be wise as a husband. Now, I don't know why God more put it on me to understand and to change, but it, I, I would put it this way. She spoke a different language than me and I spoke a different language than her. And it was my job to interpret our language to each other. And it was primarily my job to learn her language. Now, those in staff will tell you when Lisa speaks to me, they think we need counseling because she speaks so directly and I love it because I'm like, honey, if you speak directly, then I'll understand exactly what you're saying and then I can do it. So she speaks incredibly directly to me and it just speaks love to me. And I have learned to speak much more indirectly with her and I immediately notice when I have not been wise. I know there's music, but I'm going to push on, all right? Are you understanding everything about you means about a third of the time you're wise, two-thirds of the time there's foolishness bound up in you? That's, what, that's why I'm saying Harvard's only just now catching up with, with, uh, with the Bible. <laughs> so here's what I'm asking for you in terms of the path. So since your heart doesn't do this intuitively, it has to become a practice for you. That you have to begin practicing understanding there are other ways than your ways, depending on the circumstance. But how do I do that? It's when my heart becomes tuned to the Word of God. What makes the simple wise but the very Word of God? And then learning, saying, I will be single-minded about this. I will not just go my own way, but I will follow in the Word of God in love, in love for God and God's love for me. It has to be a prayerful life because sometimes you'll be trying to be wise and you'll just do the opposite of wisdom. And what I'm asking of each of you is that you would really be people that begin to say, I've got an awareness of my own self and of other people's reaction to me. Now, discernment then is this capacity to recognize, not just yourself, but to recognize and respond to the presence of God and the activity of God in the ordinary moments and in the larger moments. Jesus said this, my father is always working. 
it does not matter what's going on in the bigger picture outside of us. You've got to see what God is doing. And that's where your tuning has to come. Paul said it this way. Look, it's a command. It's an imperative of the Christian life. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can do what? So that you can discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Dennis, would you advance that for me? For some reason it stopped. So how does this journey begin? Now, could you give me just, give me three or four more minutes here, okay, of your attention. Because if you don't understand the fear of the Lord, you will get off track. So that's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there are two types of fear. And the, there's a negative fear and there's a positive fear. Now the negative fear is always about self-protection. So people, there are people who are religious, there are people who try to be moral, but they're not doing it for God, they're doing it for themselves. Because they're afraid if they don't do what's right, they'll get punished. That's a negative fear, that's not the fear of the Lord, that's a selfish, negative, deceptive fear. It's a foolish fear. But there is a fear of the Lord that comes where you begin to say, I don't need to care about what other people think. What really matters, and the only one to really be feared is not my neighbor, not my family, not anybody else on this earth. The only one to fear is God himself. He is a consuming fire. He's an all-knowing God. He's everywhere present. He can do all things. Nothing is impossible for him. He's worthy of that kind of fear. But here's the thing. <laughs> once, you, once you recognize you don't need to be afraid of anybody else, at the same time, you're recognizing that you have a security now in him that doesn't make you afraid of really revealing yourself and of actually being yourself. Do you understand? God is already calling you into this future destiny, a future that you desire and the person you always wanted to be, but it's not gonna happen if you stay an obstinate fool who says, I won't let anybody hurt me. I won't let anything touch me. See, fear of getting hurt is the fear that makes you a fool. So what we have is when we talk about fear of God, this positive fear, we're actually talking about you have the absolute assurance that God will never hurt you. See, this is the, in a way, the foolishness of grace is that God hurt Jesus so that God never had to hurt you. So many Christians, so many religious people, I go, God is punishing me because I don't pray enough. Or God is punishing me because I, I, I messed up sexually. Or God is punishing me. And I, I'm, I'm having all of these things happen because God is punishing me. See, what you're saying when you say that is, is you're saying it wasn't enough that Jesus died for me. God still has punishment for me. God still has anger for me. Do you understand that when Jesus was on the cross, all the hurt went to Jesus? So much so that Jesus said, it is finished. See, if you believe Jesus, then you believe it is finished. You believe, yes, life hurts, but God's not hurting you. And you see, once you realize that this awesome God, this awesome God is worthy of your fear, but he's not going to hurt you, then that fear 
becomes freedom, becomes love. Let me put it, let me put it in a way that maybe, uh, maybe you'll think about with me. So Paul talks about the foolishness of the cross. He says, when Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to be the king. But in the world's eyes, when you come to be the king, you come like a general to smite evildoers. Or you come like a philosophy, a philosopher and instruct anybody. But Jesus goes to the cross to become the king. And by the world's standards, that's foolishness. You see, when we look at all the evil in the world, everybody has a, a theory about you know, what's wrong with the world, but it's never us, it's always them. And so being wise in our own eyes, we actually become fools. These words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn really touched me. You see, he was a prisoner and the guards persecuted him, they tortured him, they tormented him. And when he was released, he was asked, don't you want to just kill these guards? And here's what he said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. See, only by going to the cross, only by taking our punishment, could God be able to end evil without ending you. So here's what I'd like you to say with me. Would you see this with me? God, you are great. Can you say it again? God, you are great. But you're not going to hurt me. Say it again with God, you are great. But you're not going to hurt me. See, that's the beginning of wisdom. Because he hurt Jesus. So he didn't have to hurt you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That's hurt. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? The Bible tells us that those who God loves, he rebukes and disciplines. Another translation says he unmasks and he trains. Church, this morning the Father doesn't want to hurt you, but he wants to train you. So let's be trained up in this discernment. Let's be trained up in wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you so deeply, so deeply and so dearly love us, that you don't want to hurt us, but you want to train us. You want to equip us. You want to unmask us. You want to discipline us so that we can hear your voice louder than any other voice. Father, I ask that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear you. Take whatever you need to take out of us so that your voice will be louder. We are a people marked by you and we want the world to see that we are a people marked by you. And so we give you permission to do whatever it is you want to do in us so that we can gain wisdom, so that we can gain insight, so that we can gain foresight so that we will be able to discern what you're doing here on this earth and we can join you in your mission. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.